Hey everybody, Larry Wilmore here. I am black on the air. Good to be back. Puns and metaphors right off the right off the top of the show. I was away for a week, and man, so many things happen in the world when you're not commenting on it for one week. It's unbelievable. So many things. And uh, thank you for all your your tweets uh, and your questions and everything that you want. I know a lot of people want me to weigh in on, on the Bill Maher thing. I'll talk about that a little bit um, at the end. But there's so much stuff. Oh, and I have a, a really fun uh, interview with Charlemagne, the God, uh, coming up. I was in New York um, a little while ago, and we had a nice chat. He's on a book tour right now. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Charlemagne the God is a rising media star right now. He's one of the emerging voices on radio and in media. He's got a very interesting book out. So we had a real cold chat. He was on my show, The Nightly Show. I appeared on his show, Breakfast Club. So I think you'll enjoy that. We had a lot of fun. But okay, before I get started, I saw this thing, and some of you guys may have seen it. And it really has nothing to do with anything, but it really just made me laugh. If you saw uh, Jerry Seinfeld was being interviewed on the red carpet for something, I don't even know what it was. And Kesha, (laughs) the pop star Kesha, uh, just came up and said, hey, Jerry, hey, I'm a nice fan. And he's looking like, oh, thanks. You know? And she goes, can I give you a hug? And he's like, oh, gosh, I love you so much. Oh, thanks. Can I give you a hug? No, thanks. Please? No, thanks. A little one. Yeah, no, thanks. Oh. <laughs> I don't know who that was. Yeah, that was Kesha. Okay. Well, I wish her the best. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then she tries one more time. Like, please, I just want to hug you. And he's like, no, I think I said I'm good. Believe me, I'm good. It was hilarious, you guys. I mean, a couple of things went on in that moment. First of all, he didn't know who she was, which is fine. You know, it's okay. He's Jerry Seinfeld. He's not required to know every pop star out there, you know. But to me, it was such an authentic moment. And it was such an example of, like, Jerry was not playing that bullshit showbiz artifice game, you know, where you just hug somebody just because you want to hug them. And, and, and it was amazing to me because he's on camera. And I, it's, you are hard-pressed to think of any star that is actually where the camera's on them. Because people are so afraid of getting bad press these days. The camera's on them, and they can have an authentic moment like that. Just say, no, I'm good. I don't need a hug from you, person. It was amazing to me. Just the lack of artifice and not playing that game. Like I said, it's got nothing to do with anything, but it's so enjoyable. If you have not seen it, just go watch it and, and just enjoy a little bit of somebody just being a real person. Maybe Jerry doesn't like hugs. I have no idea why he didn't want to hug her. I guarantee you it will probably show up in his stand-up act, though. Why do we hug? What is a hug? We're just pressing our bodies against each other. What is that? You know, thank you very much. That's my Jerry Seinfeld. But um, very, very cool. All right, so Cosby trial's going on. For all my fans, you know, that's right. I haven't forgotten about that MF. You know that. It's very sad, you guys, you know, just hearing all that. And what's interesting, I was asked to do an interview about it earlier this week, and I don't know if the interview, interviewer said it, but people, here's what people say a lot. People go, isn't it sad? Isn't it sad about Cosby? You know, he was such this revered father figure and had this legacy. Isn't it sad to see, like, his downfall and everything? And I always say, well, not as sad as the raping. I mean, that's the sad part. I, I can't believe that how much emphasis there is on people feeling bad that somebody's showbiz legacy is gone. Part of me 
it kind of relates in a weird way back to this Seinfeld moment. Because it's the way we celebrate artifice in this culture. He played a dad on television, you guys. It was fake. It wasn't real. Cliff Huxtable is a made-up name. Fat Albert was a cartoon, okay? Raping women is a real fucking thing. That's a crime, you know? That's something to be sad about, to be sad that our culture would allow somebody, you know, a powerful man to just skate over that. Like, uh, well, she wanted the quaaludes and I gave her the quaaludes. We were having a little quaalude party and it was consensual. Bah, bah, bah. Saying, no, motherfucker, that's not consensual. You can't get away with that. But when you hear the testimony from these people, it's really disarming just to hear how real it is. And, And what's interesting about this, I guess I bring this up because the people who are still in Cosby's side on this, what you have to do to your inside system, to your, to yourself as a human being, to try to believe that the the twisting of like hundreds of thousands of years of human evolution that has developed a thing called human instinct and the ability to discern bullshit, you just throw out the window <laughs> and just completely disregard that. Because of this image that this person has. I don't care that he sold us some fucking pudding pops. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. You know, we have to be able to drop that shit. And I wanted to, to share with you guys this, uh, this kind of uh, formula I have for detecting when people are trying to sell you bullshit. And, uh, and whether it's a conspiracy theory or, or what's going on in the world right now. And, and here's a, a, a little formula that I've come up with. Okay, here's what people do. They always demand evidence for the obvious, but then they expect you to swallow the preposterous. Okay? This is what they do. I'll say it again. They demand evidence for the obvious, but they expect you to swallow the preposterous. I'll give you an example. Like 9-11 truthers. Sorry, 9-11 truthers. Here's, here's what happened. Planes flew into buildings, and those buildings were destroyed by the planes. That's the obvious. But truthers want evidence for that. Well, how do we know that really happened? How can we trust that? How do we, you know, I don't think a building could do that. You know, how do we know people didn't go in there and they didn't plant explosives? And okay, it is obvious that that happened. It was on fucking television, you guys. But I'm supposed to swallow the preposterous that somehow somebody sneakily got into those buildings and planted explosives and hoped that planes would fly into them. And then when it did, they were able to say, OK, now and then destroy those buildings. That's preposterous. But they ex- people who have conspiracy theories, they expect you to swallow that wholeheartedly. But they're always demanding you deliver evidence for the obvious, you know, which brings me to our current president. <laughs> yes. The Orange Julius Caesar, as I like to call him. Let me just say this, guys. And I'm not going to apologize for this. I'm telling you right now. I'm just saying Trump is a horrible human being. He, he really is. I mean, we have allies in this world for a reason. We have relationships. We have friendships with countries. They're not always perfect. But England is one of our oldest allies, okay? And it's like a <laughs> a sibling relationship. You know, we fought with them, all these things. But England and France, you know, especially are two of our oldest allies. But England, particularly, we have a, you know, a very special relationship with them. And when that terrorist event happened in London, I mean, as Americans, just like the way that they felt for us during 9-11 where something happens for them, you know, we felt for them. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship issue. It's like something happening to family. And as 
the president and the representative of us, for him to to go into his his nasty world of tweeting to attack uh, the mayor of London is unconscionable, you guys. I mean, I, I don't even understand that. And then the uh, to watch his aides try to explain it, and they go through this, what I call, they play this like naked game of linguistic limbo. It's, it's like it's breathtaking and horrifying at the same time what they have to do because they know what's fucking wrong, you guys. It's like the people who are defending Cosby. They know, they know what Trump is saying is horrible. And it, it, no matter how he defends it, it doesn't make sense. Like, first of all, he misrepresented what Cotton was saying. He was when he said uh, there's nothing to be alarmed about. He was talking about the police presence. But even if he wasn't, that is part of the British ethos. Keep calm and carry on. These people had a stiff resolve during the Blitz of 1940. You know, I remember Winston Churchill was watching Duck Soup at one point. He was watching the Marx Brothers when I think Roosevelt called. You know, their resolve is what makes these people. It's, what, it's part of what they have. It's, it's almost the only thing they had in the fight against Hitler until he got into the war. But the biggest thing is, is they are our ally. They do not deserve that. And it's so... It's so petty for him to do that. I, I don't even really have jokes about this part. It's just unthinkable and unspeakable. I just can't believe he did that. And with all the other things going on, it's just another example. Of, you know what it is? Trump, he's got this. He's, it's like a devil's stew that has like stupidity mixed with narcissism and a little bigotry in there. And you mix it up with a little bit of shamelessness and relentlessness. And that's what Trump is all the time. All the time he is that, you know. And it's exhausting. It really is exhausting. So, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. Let's talk about this Bill Maher thing. It's so funny that people wanted me to talk about this. You know, it's like they forget. I'm the one that called the president of the United States my nigga. I'm the one that did that. I love that they want to hear from me about it, you know. But, um... Part of me is a little, I, it's not really my thing to, to you know, go after comedians or talk about what comedians say or, or that type of thing. It, it's just not really my thing. I prefer to talk about what presidents are doing and how they're affecting us in our real lives. I mean, yeah, Cosby's a comedian, but he allegedly committed a crime, whatever. But it's not about really what he said. But the N-word, there's a really simple thing in this. White people, just don't say nigga. Just don't say it. Just don't say it. And everything will be okay. Trust me. And and not only don't say it, you shouldn't even want to say it. You, you, you should take the desire to say the N-word just out of your system. Just get that out. I know you like rap songs. And I know that rap songs are so enticing, especially when nigga is in the rap song. And you really, really want to sing the word nigga along with that rap song. And I know you're in your car and I know you're by yourself and I know you think you can do it. Don't. Don't even do it by yourself. Just don't. Come up with alternative words for it. Trust me. And believe me, it's okay. You had a good long run using it. All right? You guys had a good long run. It's okay to take a break right now. But I would suggest for anybody, it doesn't matter, Bill Maher or anybody, if you're white, just don't say it. Don't use it. That's just my, my little advice on it. <laughs> Substitute your words. Here's what you do. If you feel... If you feel it coming on, like if you feel the urge to say it, you know, 
like like the word nigga is just lurking somewhere, you know. Like people call it a slip of the tongue. Nigga is not a slip of the tongue. If nigga is a slip of the tongue, that means it was in your mouth ready to come out somewhere. I'm saying get it out of your mouth. It shouldn't even be there, right? But if it does feel like it's lurking somewhere, just channel your inner Seinfeld and just treat it like Kesha, okay? Do not hug nigga is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? I hope it does. All right. I can just see the description for this show. Larry Wars said, don't, don't hug nigga. Treat it like Kesha. That's insane. Okay, you guys, we have a real, really, really cool show. Uh, I'm going to talk to Charlemagne the guy about his new book and about a lot of issues. But first, let's have a little word. All right. I am here with a very special person. Um, I think we did each other's shows, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, my short-lived one, your um, famous and getting more famous by the day uh, breakfast club. And uh, he is the one and only Charlemagne the God. How you doing, Charlemagne? Larry, thank you for having me, Mr. Wilmore. I'm going to call you Mr. Wilmore. No, 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 okay. no. <laughs> Wait, your name is Larry, too, right? My middle name is Larry. My father's, uh, my father's first name is Larry. Right. Larry Thomas. And then my name is Leonard Larry. Leonard Larry. So yes. Two L's. So you're LL. LLM. LLM. Yep. Um, let me just say. Um, well, thank you for having me, first and foremost. Oh. Are you kidding me? It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's a privilege and an honor to sit here and talk to you, man. Well, and I'm so happy to see you with a book out there yes, just sir. killing it. And your book is uh, uh, Black Privilege Opportunity Comes to Those Who Create It. That's yes. the name of it, right? New York Times bestseller. It's been on the New York Times. Congratulations, man. It's, it's been out four weeks now. It's been on the, the list every week. Charlotte, did you ever in your wildest dreams, I mean, see yourself on the New York Times bestseller list? Um, Yeah. Was, know, that a, was that a destination? It for wasn't you? a destination, right. but I mean, I, I I did feel like once I created this body of work, right? You know, because with any content creator, the biggest thing is actually just getting it done, yes. executing the idea. And book is one of the hardest things yes. to get done. Yeah. So once you execute right. the idea and you get it out there into the world, right. um, when it, when it started being received well, you know, everybody around me is more amped up about that kind of stuff. Right. Like, oh, you're gonna make the list. You yeah. know how hard that list is to make, and I'm right. like. All right, I'm just happy that the work is out there. So that yeah. that, that that seed was in my mind. So right. when, when I made the list, it was kind of like, okay, good, I got that out the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think what I love about it, I I haven't read all of it. I just started reading it the other day, but it reads really fast because it's so compelling. There's so much of it. I love that you have life story and life lessons. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to. I grew up. Uh, not even just grew up, but even still, I read a lot of self-help now. Like, I love yeah. Dr. Wayne W. Dyer. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Right. I love Robert Greene. I love Ryan Holiday. You pull from everywhere. Everywhere. Much, right? Don yeah. Miguel Ruiz. I love all of these different people. So I yeah. always wanted to create a self-help book for the culture, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, black culture, hip-hop culture. Because not saying that these books are geared towards any one particular sure. race, but nobody's ever talking directly There's to us. There's a certain us. way to speak to different audiences that Absolutely. connect with that audience. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, I had a conversation with Steve Harvey last year because I wanted to name the book. I don't give a fuck and neither should you <laughs> right. a self-help guide on how not to give a fuck i like that and, yeah. I, and steve was like right. nah soldier he was like that's the problem with this soldier. generation that's what he said, he, nah, said he said that's the problem with this generation they right. don't give a fuck so he sure. said he said coming from where you come from you got a lot of experiences and things that you can teach people so why right. don't you package it like that and i was like you know what you got you got it. that's a good idea. Yeah, Billy Wilder used to talk about if you have a message wrapping in chocolate and that type of and that type of thing. And that put the medicine in the candy. And even though uh 
not giving a fuck is kind of your thing. If you're going to talk to people, you want to approach them in a different way. Yes, and when right. Steve did say that, that did make a lot of sense because I do right. feel like... Uh, King... And he's the master of books. Oh, without know? question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he even told me, like, you know, he told me how he put on a tailored suit and he shaved right. his head. and That's he hilarious. Was, like, he even told me the approach shaved, to take... He shaved his hair? Well, I took the toupee off, right, whatever, okay, but right. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that, that whole, uh, like, kids only see the headlines nowadays. Sure, right. So they'll see, I don't give a fuck, and neither should you. Right. And that's what they'll run with. Oh, Charlemagne doesn't give a fuck. Right. Like, no, I need you to pay attention to the details. Yeah. You know what I mean? The details are more important, because it's not that I'm telling you not to give a fuck. I'm just telling you what you should give a fuck about and what you shouldn't yeah, give a fuck about. What, what ends up happening is you have to deconstruct that title. You have mm-hmm. to keep explaining what the title is, as opposed to telling, saying what the book is about. Yeah, because, right. I mean, it's not like anybody's asking me what black privilege is. Like, right, that's, right, that's true. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've seen some of your interviews on television stuff mm-hmm. when you were first coming out with it, and that is kind of like a hot phrase, black privilege. Yes. Like, you upset some white people with that, it seems like, and some black people saying, what are you, what are you talking about? Niggas don't have black privilege? Absolutely. What are you talking about? That's exactly what it is. Black yeah. people are saying we don't have it, and white people are like, what are you doing? Right, like, well, why are you... you trying to take our thing? Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's honestly, for me, I, I grew right. up in an era of... Black pride, mm-hmm. black power, black excellence. Right. My father was Me riding too. around James Brown, say it loud, sure. I'm black and I'm proud. I remember right. the African medallions, the Malcolm right. X hats, you know, just black messaging on your clothes. Like it was right. a certain proudness to being black, to pick with the fist That's on right. it if you had an That's afro. Right. So it's just like for we me. We were the first of we were the first generation to have that in the media. Yes. Like my I parents agree. had it in the culture. Yep. You know, and they found excellence where they could find it, but they were being shit on by society at yes. that time. But you're right. When we came up, I'm a little older, but to see it in the media was life changing. Absolutely. So it's right. like for me, I wanted to bring that back. I wanted to bring back that feeling. So it's like we already know it's this hot button phrase, white privilege. We all know white privilege exists. <laughs> right. Systemic racism, right. institutionalized oppression. We know it's there. Right. We don't have to. We don't need evidence for that. We already we've lived it. Exactly. We are witnesses. Exactly. Right. So I'm like, I'm to take that like black privilege. What do you mean? I mean, I mean, it's a privilege to be black. Mm-hmm. I truly feel like it's an honor and a privilege to be in this black skin. My why? black skin. Well, why do you say that? Why is it an honor? I mean, I don't feel like our black skin is a burden i don't feel like it's a mm-hmm. liability when i look at the people who have really changed the world mm-hmm. a lot of them are black you know the mm-hmm. people my heroes and my, my heroes aren't you know just my heroes because they're black it's my yeah. heroes because of what they've done like mm-hmm. martin luther king jr malcolm x mm-hmm. denmark vc nat turner right. you know you can even take it to entertainment guys like jay-z oprah mm-hmm. will smith like the, the the true people that i feel like have Changed the world and evolved the culture. I've been mm-hmm. black and like, listen. If you don't think it's a privilege to be black, watch Katy Perry dancing on stage at the <laughs> Billboard Awards with the Migos. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. I haven't seen a white person dance that white in a long time. That's so, hilarious. <laughs> That's okay. very funny. And then the movie Get Out. Like you watched the movie oh, Get yeah, Out. Yeah, yeah, that was I, great. I was on KTLA and I told right. them. I said, look, man. I said that movie is about white people trying to steal black people's privilege. Yeah, like, we just naturally have right. an innate coolness, natural yeah. abilities, just something about us that separates us from everyone else. Well, Rachel Dolezal is trying to be the first transracial See? person. See what I'm saying? Transracial. See what I'm saying? Or, or, right. that, cop, or that cop who uh, found out he was like 13% black <laughs> and sued his 13% police. 13% is 100%, by the way, <laughs> just, just in case anybody's wondering about that. And he sued right. the police department he worked for for discrimination. Really? Yeah, you didn't hear that story? No, that's hilarious. He, as soon as he told them that he took his ancestry test and he came back, he was 30% black. Right. By the way, white people, all of y'all have black in you, by the yes, way. Yes, exactly. Okay, but when he took the test, they started clowning him. Like, they was making racial jokes and right. stuff. So he sued the police department. 
That's hilarious. Paul Mooney used to do a joke where he said, you know, what white people, they, they don't like to uh, look in their family tree too much because they know a nigga's going to fall out somewhere if they shake that. Oh, their... <laughs> man, exactly. exactly. And then plus, plus, if you go back and you look at your history before slavery, yeah, you know, you, I mean, Mansa Munsa was the richest person ever to walk the planet. Mm-hmm. How many people really know that, that the richest person ever in the history of the world yeah. was a black man? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of stuff I feel like we need to be reconnecting our people to. A lot of history has been buried, and you mentioned... You have a real interesting, um, when you're talking about South Carolina mm-hmm. early in your book, and the way that you talk about it, I found real fascinating. And I love how the specific becomes universal for everybody. And mm-hmm. I, I, don't th- I think it really doesn't matter, black, white, or whatever, when you're reading some of the chapters in your book. And you talk about that entry into that port in South Carolina, that, that place in time. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it hits me emotionally <laughs> when you're talking yeah. about it, you know, and to know, and I think there was a bench put there or something. Or... Well, it's all kind of stuff done there. Yeah. I mean, they, they got Denmark VC's house. Yeah. You know, you can go, you can go watch that. You can go visit a lot of slave quarters in yeah. South Carolina. You can go see the ports where the, the right. slaves first came it into really the country. It really becomes real when you, when you see the evidence Absolutely. Of you can right. feel it. Like, uh, like everybody that's been down to Charleston, South Carolina, when they go down there and they explore those slave quarters and yeah. go visit these ports, they, everybody says they can feel the energy. Right. Everybody. What did it feel like for you when you were growing up? Did you say, did you grow up in, uh, where, where did, what area did you grow up in? I grew up in a town called Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Right. It's a rural area. It's right by Charleston, maybe like 20, 25 mm. minutes from Charleston, but it's like dirt roads. Yeah. You know, my father would always say, if you see something on the side of the road, like mm-hmm. roadkill, put your hand on it. <laughs> if it's cold, you leave it there. If it's warm, That's it's hilarious. dinner. That's hilarious. You know? That's hilarious. <laughs> so did like, you guys ever eat roadkill? Hey, dear. Yeah. yeah, definitely ate deer. We ate right. some, I, had, I had snake before, right. squirrel. You know, yeah. I don't know if it, it was shot or right. hit by a car, but you you know, <laughs> right. hey, it was tasty. Squirrel tacos, squirrel dumplings. Really, squirrel dumplings, man. Wow. One, the best, the healthiest meal I've had in a long time. I was in West Virginia, uh-huh. and this was like maybe four years ago, and I had squirrel dumplings. Really, bare shoulder. Now, bare shoulder actually sounds pretty good, and peas yeah. grown right from the right from the ground. Right. Yep. Bare, bare shoulder. shoulder. Tastes like steak. Oh man, that's nasty. Now, how did you feel growing up? Did you feel? Did you feel what? Did it feel racial when you were growing up? Like, did you feel like I'm black, or did it just feel like, uh, like in other words, a separation in society? Did you have any sense of that where you were growing up, or did it just feel like this is where we are? This is who we are. Um, did you like play with white people? Was was your was it segregated where you were at all? That's, that's a great question. And, you know, um, I, I talk about that. Because sometimes my, there's, yeah. there, there's no feeling of that. You know, when you're a kid, things are just what they are, right? Yeah, I mean, I right. never, I, I tell people this all the time, and they look at me like I'm crazy. But I said, mm-hmm. growing up, I never experienced overt racism. Right. I'm sure I experienced it covertly. Right. But I never had somebody say, get out of here, nigga. You don't belong. Like, I never yeah. experienced it overtly. And then on my, my the dirt road. You never I, had that negative slap. Yes. Directly, right. Exactly. Got it. And that dirt, the dirt road I grew up on. It was funny because I was just talking to my guy Thomas the other day. Thomas mm-hmm. was my first white friend. Like, oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's not, funny. His name's Thomas. Thomas Evans. He was my first white uh-huh. friend. He lives in like Oakland or something now, but his family used to live. Man, he's still keeping it real, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> his family used to live right by us, and then it was like a Mexican family on our road, and uh-huh. uh, all the rest of the families were black, right. but it never was a race thing. It was just like, mm-hmm. we all lived in trailers, you know what I mean? It was more, right. of, it was more of a class thing, if anything, because like the biggest house on the block, a black family owned. Right. And that was like a mansion to me. It was, yeah. the, it was a family called the Gibbs, and... It never was a, a race thing. It was just more of a class thing. Well, a lot of race things get conflated with class issues. Mm-hmm. I think like when people talk about the black community, especially when people are talking about 
how to help the black community, they're usually talking about class as well as race. You know, because, I mean, there's, I mean, Oprah doesn't need any help, right? Not at all. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of... Not at all. And there, and there is a middle class that has come up in a certain way, but there's a huge underclass that does, that is underserved all the time that, that people need to talk about. I was really struck in, in the beginning of your book where um, you talked about um, living your, your truth is the phrase that you, yes, sir. that you came up with. But you got this epiphany by having the shit kicked out of you. I got my ass kicked. Can you tell that story? Yes. I got uh, this, this scar right here. This scar on my head yeah. literally is from when I got beat up. And I got beat up so bad, my face was all swollen and crazy. And like, mm-hmm. I had a bunch of scar tissue. So even after the swelling went down, like it was this little knot. That was just sitting on my head that I had to get shaved Why off. Why were you beating up? What happened? It's running my mouth, talking shit, on the uh-huh. phone with a girl, and she mentioned this guy's name, and I'm for no reason. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, he think he hard. Right. And she was like, oh, you don't think he hard? I'm like, you know, back in the day, that was the thing, to be tough. That was the you thing. You know, you right. had to be hardcore. And I'm like, yeah. nah, he ain't hard. Like, and whatever. It, and, it was, and it, the real thing was you just couldn't be soft. You just couldn't. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Even if you weren't hard, exactly. as long as you weren't soft. Yeah, you could be somewhere right. in the middle. You couldn't right. be gooey. You had to be a little solid, like just enough. Right. And so it's like I said that, and I didn't even think nothing of it. Like I you, literally, you were just talking, just talking, right? And then like maybe a few days later, I'm leaving my homeboy's house. I'm high as hell. I'm at the top of my dirt road. I see this burgundy right. cutlass pull up, and it turns around when it sees me, and out jumps the guy. And I'm like, oh god! And then like he swung a punch at me and missed, and I hit him, and then he just proceeded to <laughs> oh, beat man. the dog shit out of me, really? like slam me in a ditch on top of me just punishing me and then he put me in like this chokehold and I'm just getting choked out and his out. boy was just watching this his, his, what, it was his boy it was right. his two cousins and one of his cousins broke it up like yo chill out it's enough like whatever which thank god he did because after he had you in the chokehold after he had me in the chokehold because right. later on the same guy who beat me up went to jail he's in prison now for killing someone's he killed my cousin's mother what he choked her out broke her neck yep because he ended up getting, the guy ended up getting on drugs later on in his life. And right. both of them were, you know, crack crack addicts at the time. Uh-huh. And so he, he choked, the, I guess it was over some drugs, he choked her out. So, so killing you would have been nothing? Nah, at the time. That would have right. been, been horrible. You'd have, just, you'd have just missed out on a future good radio personality. <laughs> the world can do without one of those, no, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. But, but the amazing thing is, is this moment changed you. And it, absolutely, it, it was like, I, I went into a trail. I went, right. my, my my father had just built my mom a house, and okay. um, we used to live. We grew, lived in a single wide trailer. Mm-hmm. That's, matter of fact, in the book I called it a double wide. And double when I was home, my mom was like, "That's an alternative fact." That's she was hilarious. like, "It was a single wide," and I was uh-huh. like, "You know what, mom? Thank you. Wow. That's going to make the story even better." I didn't even that because yeah. to me it was just a trailer. Well, plus when you're a kid, it seems bigger. it seems huge. Yeah, exactly, it seems like a double. Absolutely. Wide. Right. So I, I, I went and I sat in this trailer uh-huh. and literally cried. And then after uh-huh. I cried, I did, the tears turned to laughter. And I just was like, <laughs> I was like. You started laughing after the, after start, almost being killed. Yes. I, right. I cried and I laughed because I was just like, hey, fuck it. This is the worst that can happen for, for, for speaking my mind. How old were you? Oh, man. Maybe 15, 16, mm-hmm. maybe. Right. Maybe. I think, yeah, maybe 15, 16. So you said if this is the worst that can happen for speaking. Because you, you felt this came about because you were speaking your mind. Yeah. I mean, that's how I honestly felt. Mm-hmm. It's not like I made up something about the guy. <laughs> right, you know right. what I'm saying? And, 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 and not saying... <laughs> Were you saying listen, that as he's kicking your ass? Was I wrong? Yeah, yeah he, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I clearly was wrong, but that's how I felt at the time. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? I right. was definitely wrong. Sure. Like, you are by far one of the hardest guys that's I've true. ever met. 
You actually Whoa, that sounded were, crazy, right. but but <laughs> but yeah, I right. felt I felt uh, I was that's how I felt, so I said it. But right. that 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 really changed me to the point where I was just like, "Fuck it! If if if, if I got something to say, I'm gonna say it. Like uh-huh. like bite my tongue for nobody. Like if this the worst that can happen, I can live with this." Right. And uh, at that moment, did you did you? start to change at that moment did you feel uh anything yeah i mean yeah, I, I saw you steve harvey you said you were selling drugs were you doing that during this time you were selling this, crack was, after. this, this was after yeah this was big mm-hmm. how old were you when you when you were uh, doing that when i started selling drugs i was i was like 19 or something at oh, that okay. time. yeah because i already had gotten kicked out of two high schools mm-hmm. and like this is after because the first time i went to jail i went to jail for assault and bradley with intent to kill how old were you I was 17. Okay. I was 17 because I was like, mm-hmm. I was still in high school and they came to get me from the school. Man. And they took me from high school to the jail and it was crazy because I didn't even think nothing of it. I'm like, okay. To me, that was like a trip to the principal's office. I didn't realize. Right. Nigga, you in jail. <laughs> like, for shooting at somebody. This oh ain't my no, God. It's not a fight in the hallway or, yeah. you know, getting caught with some liquor at school. Like, you're in jail. Like, right. But my mind didn't process it like that mm-hmm. at first. My mind was just like, it's just some trouble. My pops will come get me. Mm-hmm. I beat the game on Friday. You just thought it's just trouble. And that's it. Right. I didn't realize I was in mm-hmm. some real serious shit. I remember my right. father coming down to the jail saying, you know you in some real serious shit. Like, you shot at somebody, and the only reason somebody's mm-hmm. not dead is because it was, a, it's a, you know, four seats in the car. The fourth seat, the bullet went into the headrest, oh and God. nobody was sitting in that seat. Right. But it was three people in the car. There could have just been somebody sitting in that seat that would have got shot. Right. Could have changed the course of my life forever. And I really believe in that type of stuff because I watch mm-hmm. a lot of Back to the Future and yeah. I believe in the space-time continuum. Yes, I saw that too. I absolutely believe in the space-time do you, continuum. Do you believe in divine intervention? Oh, yes. And I believe in divine misdirection. Divine misdirection. What, what is divine misdirection? Meaning like, um, like for me, I've been fired from radio four times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time I get called into the office, they say to me, we're moving in another direction. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I remember my homegirl, right. my homegirl Kendra G said to me, it's not them moving you in another direction. It's God moving you in another direction. Mm-hmm. So I believe in divine intervention and I believe in divine misdirection. Because a lot of times we be on a path that we think we're supposed to be on. Right. But our good plan is not actually God's plan for us. So then something will happen and we think it's a bad situation. But actually, mm-hmm. God's just shifting us in the direction he really wants us to go. Because every time I got fired, I ended up with a better radio job at the end of the day. Do you think being almost choked to death? Almost shooting somebody. Do you think that was part of God's plan, or were you? No. Was that your that plan was that was getting in the way of God? That plan? was me. That was all okay. me. That was all me. And then I say that all the time. I say anything bad that happens in your life is you. Anything that good that happens in your life is God. Because like, it's mm-hmm. all about choices, right? At the mm-hmm. end of the day, like I always right. say, destiny's not a matter of chance; it's a matter of choice. I was making poor choices. Mm-hmm. I might have prayed to God to help me get destiny's out of it. Destiny's not. A, I want to slow down because you have some great sayings that mm-hmm. I think fly by. You have a lot of them in the book, by the way. But <laughs> no, you really do. I was very impressed by it, you know. And like I said, I haven't even finished reading it. And I, I'm jumping around, going, "Oh shit, this looks good too." You know? Thank you. But destiny is not a matter of chance; it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice, right? Whenever I talk to these kids at any school or just having a conversation in the street, I, life is just a series of choices. Yeah, that's all it really is. No, it really is. Good and choices you, you are and bad choices. Some of the choices that you make. You're the, you're some of the choices that you make. And right. guess what? You may even choose to do something that in your mind may not work out. Right. But if you learn something from it, you didn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why another principle I have in the book is, you know, there's no there's no losses right. in life, only lessons. And it's like you either sure. win or you learn. Right. Like, that's how I truly feel. I don't say win or lose. I say you win right. or you learn. Yeah. I want to talk more about uh, how meaningful losses are 
in your life. But, but let's just take a quick break for a quick word. We'll be right back with Charlemagne. I am back, Charlemagne the God. Yes, sir. Uh, Leonard Larry. That's me. <laughs> McKelvey. I'm Irish. McKelvey. I know. We, there's a lot of Irish lurking in. in <laughs> the Irish was fucking. That's why they have that. <laughs> the Irish was not discriminating. Well, it's that, it's that whole day. potato famine, you know. Yeah. You, get, you, you, don't, you don't have a chance to eat potatoes for a while. You say, you know what? I think I'm going to fuck some niggas. I can't get my hands on some potatoes right now. Ain't get no, no, yes, no potatoes. Exactly. I get some pussy. Exactly. Yeah. At least I can get that. <laughs> Oh, Everything goes back to the potato famine. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Wow. Um, You're right. <laughs> I, I want to talk about loss, and I want to come back to, to the truth, too, because I love – here's what I love. I mm-hmm. love how many terms you put out there that are big philosophical terms, but you put them in a way that is directly – that can be directly meaningful for people's lives. Absolutely. Because okay? you ground it in your experience and how you used it, which I think is great, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that's just because I'm not smart enough to use historical examples. No, no, no. Like I grew, I grew, you know, yeah. like all those self-help books I was reading, right. those guys use historical examples yeah. and historical context. I don't, I'm not that smart. I no, but I think people relate to your experience. I think yeah. all the great writers use their experience, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what people relate to, you know. But, um, like, I, I don't have a problem with losses, you know. I think losses are part of exposing our humanity and making us you know, the people that we become and accepting loss as a part of life is the same thing as accepting something good. Mm-hmm. Like they're both important. It's like they're both important to have a perspective about it. Like I can't get too big of a head from good stuff. Like I can't get too down from bad stuff. Oh, man, know? that's my pops. Right. That's, I, I don't even know if you read that quote in the book. Uh-huh. Where, uh, it's two people in my life who gave me a great... Uh, Actually, I am your father, Charlotte. Okay. <laughs> you might be. <laughs> well, my father, Larry. Right. Uh, my, fa- my, my father, Larry, he actually used to tell me, uh-huh. you're never as good as they say you are. Yes. And you're never as bad as they say right. you are. Yeah. And my guy, Cadillac Jack, who uh, hired me at, at, at Power 105, he said that it's uh-huh. the rule of 10. Three people going to like it. Three people are not going to like right. it. Four people just going to be on the fence about it. Yeah. And that's just the way life is. Those like You have haters. to understand that regardless Absolutely. of... Absolutely. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. No matter who you are. Right. No matter what you put out. It could be a book. It could be a movie, TV show. It could be you could paint right. somebody's house. People forget Jesus was crucified. Jesus you was know, crucified. It, it, no, it, it's not like they had a chat with him. Say, you know, yes. we, we disagree. It's like, no, you have to die for this. Shit. Martin Luther King was assassinated. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> like, yes, that's not quiet. Uh, people taking, you know, uh, a different opinion on that. But um, you make a distinction between honesty and truth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or I wanted to say, do you make a distinction uh, between that? Because you you say your style is to be honest. Yeah, and I always feel like honesty is saying how you feel, right? Absolutely. And um, but do you? Um, oh, let me ask you this: Why do you think it's hard for most people to be honest in the way that you are? Because most people aren't able to speak like that. Because they they fear the repercussions of being honest, and they fear the repercussions of being alone. And what I mean by oh. that is, you know, especially on mm-hmm. on social media. A lot of it's a lot of groupthink on social media, and the reason right. it's a lot of groupthink because groupthink is safe. Yes, like if you're the lone, right. if you're the lone person with right. an honest opinion about something, and it's not fitting the opinion of the masses, and right. you're gonna have a hundred people tweeting you, telling you that you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Shut up! You sound stupid. Right? You yeah. a sellout? Yeah, you a sellout. <laughs> you a coon? You're like what? I'm just, I'm a coon? I love that. I, I'm just trying to. Oh, that's the worst, by the way, being right. called a coon on the no, internet. Like that's all we're trying to avoid. All of us. Exactly. But it's, like, but it's just like I'm just giving my honest opinion, but the truth is actually the fact of the matter mm-hmm. and that's what i always say the truth is the truth regardless of a hundred people believing it or one person believing mm-hmm. it like the truth is going to be the truth regardless I, being honest is just you saying what you feel i was honest when i right. told dude i didn't think he was hard right but he proved me wrong right he showed me that wasn't the truth 
<laughs> he showed you the distinction between honesty and, and that's truth. it. Absolutely. Right. Like when you went after Kanye, you called him Kanye Kardashian. Yeah. That was your honest, honest opinion. assessment. I think that was the truth, too, I still personally. think that's the truth. I, I, think, I, I definitely think, think, I think Kanye truth. is in the sunken place right now. That's hilarious. I do. I think yeah. somebody needs to walk up on Kanye Look with what happened phone. to Lamar. He was with the Kardashian. Whoa. He, he went to the sunken place. Even worse. To, even worse. And that's my boy. You know, I'm a Laker fan, so, you know. Yeah. Kanye's worse than me, though, because I feel like yeah. Kanye used to stand for so much. Yeah. Like, Kanye was the guy that would go out there and speak about social issues. Kanye got right. on stage and said, George Bush does not care about black people. You know yeah. how gangster that was? No, to do it for that telethon? What? And Mike, even Mike Myers was shocked. He was like, oh, He's like, fuck. I don't want none of this. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like, like, and I'm like, I, I, even I, George Bush said, damn, maybe I don't care about black people. That was pretty gangster. D- listen, Kanye hmm. didn't even, I don't even know if Kanye realized the power of his voice. Kanye yeah. had two presidents speak on him. Yeah. Barack Obama called him a jackass. Right. You know, and embraced him a little bit. And yeah. then George Bush was like, that hurt my feelings. Right. You know, how, you know how powerful your voice has to be for you to be a rapper? Yeah. And you hurt the president's feelings as if he yeah. would, should give a fuck? I know. It's like, so true. And it, it bothers me just to see Kanye walking around with blonde hair, living in Hollywood, yeah. caring about fashion. And I, it don't I seem like, do you still care about the people, my brother? Well, when you think about his early music, too, late registration, college dropout, there were so many... Just good, just mm. the sound coming out of those records just felt like he was speaking directly, you know. Kanye Did, changed black culture for the better. In what I, way? In, in, the, in the fact that you got to think, hip-hop was so geared towards mm-hmm. gangster and yeah. thug. Especially and, 90s. It had yeah, a lot of, you know, everybody wanted to be right. hood, everybody right, wanted right, right, to right. be street. Like, Kanye made it cool for you just to be yourself, bro. Yeah. Like, be yourself. Like, you don't, exactly. have, you don't have to proclaim to be from the street. You don't have to proclaim to be right. selling drugs and packing guns. Like, yeah. you can just be yourself. Rock, right. your, rock your pink polos and, yes. and be cool. Exactly. Because he was kind of, it wasn't really like nerd hip hop. Not really. I guess maybe in a sense. But it was, everybody thought it was cool, too. Like, it was regular, everyday hip hop. Yeah, And it it, was, it, yeah. I remember the change. I remember when, I, don't, I think it might have been Kanye's third album. And him mm-hmm. and 50 went head up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They was like, we're going to put our albums out on the same day and see who sell more. <laughs> right, and 50 right. was like, if you sell more than me, I'm going to retire. Because right. at the time, Kanye was, was popping, but he wasn't where right. 50 was. And then Kanye came out and sold more than him. Right. And Kanye really changed the course of black culture forever. Because you know, Kanye, now you got the Wale's and J. Cole's right. and Big Sean's and mm-hmm. Drake's and Kendrick's. All these guys that aren't right. afraid just to be themselves. None of those guys right. are trying to be hood. None of those guys are trying to be thugs. In fact, Kendrick is able to own all of that space, but doing like the most thoughtful, yes, but also personal. But yes. but he could still get sexual. Like yes. he can he can embrace all of that stuff, and it's just all just raw and honest. He can right? be human. Yes, exactly. He sounds he sounds the most human. Big Sean, I love a lot too. He's so smart, and he's yep. not he's not afraid to be all those things too, and to be a young. Dude, that's smart. Yep. You know, and I, I really love that about him. Those are my two favorite rappers right now. Big Sean's my favorite rapper right like now. Big Sean, yeah. And Kendrick's my other one. I dub the new guys. Kendrick's just amazing. Um, um, I think a lot of times most successful people get into bubbles, mm. I think is what happens. And I, I think it's hard to keep your real honesty when you're in a bubble because you're around people who never say no to you. Yes. People are kissing your ass. Yes. You know? Like, how do you, how do you find, like, you might sense that happening to you now. Now I don't mean the making it hard, but if you get successful, a bubble will start forming around you because people just start acting differently around you. Have you noticed any of that? Yeah, I mean yeah. That, that, that's one of the things I always say. It's never it's never you that change. It's the people around you that change. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's funny. I got a homeboy named Randy Roper. Salute to my guy Randy. He's a he's a writer, mm-hmm. and um, he wrote an article 
about just that. He wrote mm-hmm. an article because he came to see me at a book signing in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, this right. my, I've been knowing my guy for forever. Like he used to do my first early interviews mm-hmm. when I was in my twenties and telling him that's great. I'm gonna be the next big radio personality. It's just a matter of time. Like I, it's documented. I would say these things to him. Yeah. And so he came to the um to the book signing and he wrote this whole letter about how he had to check himself mm-hmm. because he said, you know, when, when I was doing my book run, he was like, do I even know this guy? Like, this guy's mm-hmm. on the, the View, he's on Colbert's <laughs> show. Like, right. he's like, yo, this guy's really <laughs> right. somebody. Who do I know this? him? Right. And so he said when you came That's up. That's a good question, actually. Yeah. So right. he said, when he came up to get his books, I, I, I was like, yo, why didn't you just call me? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't got your new number. And then he said when he got in the car, he realized he always had my number because I never yeah. changed it. Right. But he, in his mind, he yeah. thought I was going to be acting expectation different. Expectation that you were different. Absolutely, right. th- and which was, and he was like, it's, "It's the same old Charlemagne I've always known." It's, yeah. he, he was like, "It was, it was me." Right. And I was like, "Yo, that's that's exactly how it is," because I haven't switched up at all. Right. You know? I try to keep the same people around me, and the reason I keep the same people around me is because they are honest with me at all times. The original crew. They listen. Right. I love, I love, I love going home to Monk's Corner. Mm-hmm. I walked in my walk in my aunt's house. Like yeah. my aunt's like, "Hey, baby, come help me move this furniture." Right. Like it's no, it's no airs being put on. Like yep. they're not putting me on no pedestal. It's just like I like having that honesty around me. Plus, man, you know I don't want to become a caricature of myself. Absolutely right. I think that's the worst. I see that yeah. all the time in so many people. Like it's it's personalities that I love. Like I yeah. I love. I used to love Stephen A. Smith. Still, still like him, but he seems yeah. like a caricature of himself. Skip Bayless, yeah. caricatures of himself. Like, I don't no. want that to be me. Like, I want to always But just... they start imitating themselves. Yes, because they start right. listening to what everybody says right. they should be. And yeah. then people talk about them and what they like about them. And, oh, I, did, I love when you do this. So they try to give people that. Like, me, man, I'm not afraid to grow. I'm not afraid to evolve. And that's mm-hmm. how I stay out of the bubble. And you have an expression in your book where you say, fuck your dreams. Fuck your dreams. That is a ama- that's an amazing phrase. What does that mean? It means fuck your dreams when they're not your dreams. And and you know wow. We, we, wait, I have to keep stopping you because there's so much good stuff yeah. in just these small phrases. Fuck your dreams when they're not your when dreams. They're not your okay, dreams. stop right there. Tell me what that means. When you are young, how do you know your dreams are not your dreams? What does that mean? Well, when you are a young black kid growing mm-hmm. up in the hood, the people we see who look like us that are mm-hmm. successful are usually in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Are athletics. Yeah, those are the people that have the most adulation from young people. Yes. Because right? so it has the most romanticism around it. Absolutely. Too. Right. So if you don't really know any other ways out the hood, you just naturally go yeah. to one of those two fields. Like, right. this is what I want to do. Because right. you really just want to change your circumstances. But that's not really your dream. You just see it working for somebody else. Right. So, I, I mean, I used to want to rap. So all my stuff is based off experience. My rap name used to be Dizzy Van Winkle. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 wait, I, hold on a second. Dizzy, Dizzy Van Dizzy, Winkle. Dizzy How Van did you Winkle. come up? Wait, did you come up with his name right after that beating? Is that what happened? Uh, before. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, because when the oxygen leaves the brain. <laughs> like, before. I used to smoke mad weed. So it's right. just one of those things where you thought it sounded mad philosophical. Because I was like, yo, Rip Van Winkle yeah. slept for mad long. Right. You know what I mean? But me, I slept for mad long, and now that I woke up, I'm mentally confused. I so don't, I'm dizzy. I don't, yeah, I don't understand the world, <laughs> so I'm dizzy. Dizzy Van Winkle. Right. And like, you're right. You know? So my, I had a mentor I had a mentor named Dr. Robert Evans, right. and he was like, yo, you suck at rapping. He was like, you, you, you need to focus on... I, I love that a doctor told you that you suck oh, at man. Like, A doctor. Yeah. This, 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 he's one of the realest brothers I've ever met. He's right. like, his, name, his name Dr. Robert Evans. He's from Rochdale, Queens, but he actually right. was living in Somerville, South Carolina at the time. And his son, my, my brother, DJ Bless, uh-huh. you know, he's a, um, he's a producer. 
Right. So, you know, Dr. Evans was helping him get his his music career going. So they right. we, they had a record label called Never So Deep Records, and at the time it was a subsidiary of MCA. MCA's okay. not around no more. Right. But so I used to like be over there recording in the studio, and I was doing radio at the same time, and he mm-hmm. just told me straight up, like, yo, you so suck sorry. at rapping. You yeah. need to focus on radio. Like, you could be a great at radio if you focus on that craft. So See, that to me is another... That is an angel in your life. I feel that, that is a guardian angel who's Absolutely. looking out for you. Still is yeah. to this day. It's funny because I, I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to like psychics and mediums and mm-hmm. all that kind of but stuff. But you like do that. believe in UFOs. I do, okay. and I do believe in mediums to a certain extent. I met right. a medium once. Well, they live in the worst houses, so you think you know if these people <laughs> could see the future and everything. Why can't they? Why couldn't they have foretold that they were going to be so poor that they could only afford this shack? This is psychic. Well, mediums and are different, though. Mediums, mediums, see, yeah, but they mediums see the are spirits full of shit. around yeah, you. I don't believe in that. You know. I had one but run see up. your auras and all that stuff. Larry, I had one run up on me one time, man. Right, and and this was years ago. And they're ago. telling you your Wikipedia page, basically. No, this is before. Right. This, I had okay. just moved to New York. Like, there's right. no way right. this guy could have known see, anything about the thing, me. Sean, I'm an amateur magician. I don't know if you know that i'm no. a member of the magic castle in hollywood like i've been fooling people since i was seven years old this stuff is not true really it is not true well i'll tell you no. what it worked for me because okay. he, he he at least he made me feel like it could happen yes and that's a lot of that's a lot of it is just that's the like, point your though. thoughts become things right right if i give you a rock and i tell you this is a magic rock don't ever right. let it go hold on to it right. and change your life yeah you might believe that it's just, Absolutely. It's just about your thoughts power becoming things power of the mind that's right. it so i believed him when he told me that i was going to be great yeah, but you believe that you you believe but he that was real specific too. though. Yeah, like he literally was like he redirected. You know you. what? He might have been bullshitting me because he was like, "I see Howard Stern." <laughs> he was like, "I see Howard Stern." He I just see, picked something at yeah, random. I see Wendy Williams. He said, "I see a microphone." <laughs> <laughs> he said this to me. That's hilarious. You might have you know somebody might have put him on. Like, yeah, he does radio. Maybe you're right, but it worked. Right. All right. I'm so glad you're here. I'm I'm happy to be here, I'm, man. I'm so happy. For for your success, and I love the way that um, that you're putting it out there, because this is not just you being successful, but you're already reaching out on on this journey of success to pull other people up. Oh, absolutely, which is, kind of, I, I, which is really nice. So. I always say I like to throw more assists than yeah. I do score points. Like, Magic I, like, Johnson uh, fan, I'm a Laker fan. Magic's my boy. I love Magic. I'm assist, assist, assist. Why does Magic not get the credit he deserves? Who doesn't give him the credit? Like, because they go from, like, even now, they go from Michael Jordan, and they're like, LeBron's going to be the next Michael. Because people forget. I'm like, what about Magic and Kobe? Like, people forget. People forget that Jordan, um, when he finally surpassed Magic, how he, happy he was. Yes, he beat him because, in the finals. That was his first ring. Because, but he knew that that was the standard. He knew. And before Magic, it was Dr. J. Like, everybody wanted to be as good as Dr. J was, yeah. you know. When, Ma- when Magic came on the scene. Magic went to nine NBA finals. Thank you. five. Thank you. Magic went one-on-one with HIV and won. Correct. Like, Magic is... Magic has the Magic AIDS. Yes. Magic, is, like flawless. Magic, yes. Magic is flawless. Like, I don't, I, yes. I, I don't know. I just don't know how people skip Magic when they talk about... No, Magic's like a superhero. He is like a superhero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. he is. And LeBron, no doubt. LeBron, LeBron is good, but nobody wanted to win more than Magic. Like, I was talking... To, who was I talking to? I was talking to Hassan. That's who it was, because he was, he was dissing me on Bill's show. He was trying to make an excuse for his O2 Sacramento Kings, you know, and that the Lakers cheated or whatever. By the I'm way, like, whatever. Just just I, play better next time. I saw him on SportsCenter yeah. yesterday or two days ago. Right. He was with Carrie Champion, and he, yeah. I've never heard somebody say they were a Kings fan. Even though we Thank used to, you. <laughs> but he owns time. it. I give him that credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I give him that credit. 
Um, but he was trying to make the case that today's players were better one-on-one players than back in the day. And I said, let me just say this to you. They weren't trying to be good one-on-one players. Magic would hurt your feelings because he would beat you. Yeah. you. You might take him to the hole. You score 40 on Magic. Magic will score 20, but he will beat you. His team will beat you, and your feelings yeah. will be hurt after scoring that 40 points. Magic gonna That's sc- the difference. Magic going to score 20 and then throw 15 assists. Thank you. But he's gonna he's not leaving that court till you have lost. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's what the difference absolutely. is. Absolutely. You know? the, the will to win. Now, by the way, that is very important. The will to win. Because we were talking about, you know, the power of thought. I yes. think that's what separates yeah. Jordan too. Jordan and, and Kobe and, Kobe and all yeah. of those guys from LeBron. And I think LeBron is naturally gifted. Naturally. Physically I agree. gifted. But I don't think he has that will to win. It's not like, the same. It's not the same. It's just not the same. It's not the same. Know? Um, I want to ask you about uh, focus on putting the weed in the bag. Yes, is one of your chapters. Tell us what that means. Well, it's a great, uh, great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a great movie called Belly. Mm-hmm. You know, should have won an Oscar. <laughs> it's with DMX and Nas. Any movie with DMX, I think, should at least be an Oscar contention. Absolutely, the right. great urban philosopher DMX. Yes, and, and exactly. DMX and Nas were sitting at a table, and they had these young boys with them, and the young boys were like, "Yo, we want to hit the street and go get money with y'all, man." Mm-hmm. And DMX says. Shut the fuck up. Put the weed in the bag and then get money. Mm -hmm. So basically all I'm telling people is it's a process. Mm-hmm. Everything has steps. Like you don't go from A to Z. You Some gotta, people like to jump to the end. First. Everybody, especially right. these these millennials. These millennials right. do not feel like it's a process. I've been doing radio for 19 years. Mm-hmm. I have. I just started making real money the past four. Right. Uh, you know what right. I mean? Exactly. Like like literally the past four. Like it's mm-hmm. a process. Everything is a process. You have to go through the process. You can't escape the process. Uh, a woman gets pregnant. It's gonna take nine months for that baby to get right. here. If you're you know you go to law school, you gotta go for the school four mm-hmm. to eight years before you get your your your, your degree. Like it's, everything's a process. Like, there's no escaping right. it. Richard Pryor said it takes 10 years to just to learn how to do stand-up comedy. Marlon Brando said it, I think it takes 10 years to learn how to act. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's a lot of wow. time when you think about it, you know. He may have said 20. Uh, you had a chapter called 168 Hours. Were you talking about the same thing? With yeah, that? that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's that's part of the process. That's part mm-hmm. of the put the weed in the bag process. Because, you know, you talk to these millennials nowadays mm-hmm. and they'll tell you how they don't have time. Right, right, right. Why don't you go down there and get an internship? I don't right. have a time. I'm like, why don't you have time? You got the same amount of hours in your day that Beyonce got, Oprah right. got, Jay-Z, whoever. Actually, Beyonce gets to have a few extra hours. She might get 27. Right, exactly. She might get 27. But my, my, my point is it's like 168 hours in a week. Even if you're going to school for 40 right. hours, you're working for 40 hours. Right. You still got 80-plus hours to do whatever it is that you want to do. Just more right. than enough time to deal with your reality, which is right. working and paying your bills or going to school and chasing your dream. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more than enough time. So right. if people, when people are like, I don't have enough time, it's like, no, you just don't want to focus the time yeah. on what you should be doing. Yeah. You want to Netflix and chill and <laughs> right. play Xbox and smoke weed all day. Like, yeah, anyway. they say uh, people spend more time planning a two-week vacation than they do planning their lives. Wow. Yeah. Mm. It's true, Mm. you know. People don't think of it, their lives, in the same way that requires planning and requires thought. They just think uh, things will happen or... Or they should come their way and that type of thing. You know? I, I, I write out my long-term mm-hmm. goals and short-term goals like 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 mothers write out grocery lists. Right. Like I write out things that I want to do. And it's a great feeling when you really see yourself really scratching is. these things off the list. Completely. I, I do a thing called putting it out there. Like mm-hmm. a, I just kind of put it out there and then I almost, I almost forget about it. When I first started doing stand-up, 
I remember I was doing open mic nights and I was at this place called The Last Stop in Newport Beach. And I remember I'm waiting in line there and I see the marquee. And I said, you know, in two years I want to have my name on that marquee, right? Wow. So two years later, Charlotte, mm-hmm. two years later, I'm headlining that club and I'm driving up to my own parking space now. <laughs> and I get out of my car and I look up and I see my name in the marquee and I go, oh, fuck. And I hadn't thought of it. I went back to that time when I visualized it and put it out there and saw my name up there. And it was almost two years to the day. Wow. And it's funny how it lined up with the actual amount of time. And I tried it as an, ex- as an experiment. Mm-hmm. I actually put it out there for different types of goals, even monetary and that type of thing. And it has always happened, and I cannot explain it. I don't know how that works. And I put it into this kind of language where I say, whatever it is you want to do in your life or whatever it is you, you, know, you have goals for, put it out there in front of you, and your job in your life is to walk towards that. That's it. You know, like I instantly, when I started in this business, like people say, when did you know you were a success? I said, I was success when I decided to do what I wanted to do that was going to make me happy. So I was a success immediately. The rest of my life is the journey now. Now I'm walking towards whatever the things that are part of that success. So success is not a destination. I'm there already when I started. It, It didn't matter how much money I made. You know, I, well, well, I tell people yeah. all the time, success is subjective. Right. You know, like like what you said just now hit, hit the nail on the head. Like for me, it's a guy probably riding around Charlotte, North Carolina right now making 50 grand a year. Yeah. If that, he, right. but his, his, his wife is good. His kids are good. He's happy. Right. That's what success is. Absolutely. Success is doing what makes you happy. Are you happy? Like you right. asked me that when I walked in the room. Am I happy? And I was like, yeah. 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 That's I great. am. That's, yeah. that's a great question to ask people. Yeah. Are you happy? And you got to check yourself with that question all the time, yes. too. Absolutely. Making sure that, because happiness is a choice. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and But, but you, it's a choice that you make, and you make it. Right. You don't just make it with your thought to say, hey, I'm going to be happy today. You make it through your actions. You make that's it through exactly the choices right. you make in your life. Right. Like, like, I always wonder, like, you talk about your name on the marquee. How does it feel to see your name on the credits of these amazing shows? Well, it's great. Well, for me... It was something that I did, you know, so I was proud to to just put that product out there, you know, mm-hmm. like when I when I created the uh, Bernie Mac show, um, just to first of all, just to have my name with Bernie Mac's <laughs> name yeah. was just an honor. But the fact that I had a vision for something and you not only it's not only my name up there, but all the other names around it. That means you created all those jobs for people. There and in go. some cases you change people's lives, you know, and uh and to see people's lives being changed because you had an idea and you executed it and then it became something. And then it became meaningful to the people who are watching it that weren't even involved. And then they went and did something. That's what I want to do. Like when I say I, when I say I want to throw, I like throwing assists more than I like scoring points. Yeah. It's people like you who make me feel that uh, way. I appreciate Listen, it. Listen, by the that. way, I only want one. Yeah. You've got four <laughs> classics. That's my, that's my path, man. You got to keep walking. That's you, the path. You got Bernie right. Mac, Blackish. Insecure and the PJs is a classic. PJs, I don't know fuck on, nobody man. said. Chris bro. Rock said it was the funniest show <laughs> ever on television. We did have a crackhead on the show. Like, well, gotta go, crack, don't smoke it, show. That's what. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, well, man! Classic, like that's man. that's classic. that's amazing. All right, let me ask you just a couple more questions before you go because I know you cover a lot of topics on your show. But one question is kind of a general question, but I really would like to get your opinion on this. What mm-hmm. do you think is the biggest obstacle to young black males, from your <sighs> perspective? Honestly, because man. and the reason why I ask you that question, because young black males are talked about so much in the mm-hmm. press these days, whether it's, you know, people are talking about police brutality or people are mm-hmm. talking about, you know, the, the, the economic situation or 
or just the image of young black males in the media and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you think is the biggest obstacles to young black males in America right now? I think the biggest obstacle to young black males in America is ourselves. And the reason I say ourselves is because systemic oppression, you know, institutionalized racism, mm-hmm. all of those things are meant to oppress us. They're meant to marginalize us. They're mm-hmm. meant to make us feel inferior. So mm-hmm. once we start absolutely positively believing that we are inferior or things can't get any better for mm-hmm. us or, you know, things will always be bad for us. When we start feeling that and believing that, we, we let them win. Yeah. Simple as that. Like, we let them win. Like, you know, you got you to gotta be the change you want to see in the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, M- Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., that Harriet Tubman, like Nat mm-hmm. Turner. It was a point in their life where they was like, fuck that. Right. Like this, right. shit, this shit ain't right. For some you of them, it was mean? their entire lives. Their entire right. lives. Like right. we're 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 going to fight this. Like yes. we're going and and you, we we got to take the baton from what they did. Like right. black people, we don't celebrate our victories enough mm-hmm. because we're always so focused on our losses and and rightfully so. But sure. like like let's not act like Martin Luther King Jr. didn't change things. Right. Let's not act like Martin Luther King Jr. didn't get the Civil Rights Act of 1964 mm-hmm. done. Let's not act like he wasn't out there marching so we could right. live a better life. And it worked in a lot of ways. I mean right. the system isn't perfect. Right. But he did We're standing on the shoulders of those successes. We're not That's standing it. we're not standing behind it. That's it. it, right. it, it uh, slaves revolted. Like we can we gotta start we gotta stop acting like, you know, all we did was take L's our whole life. Because that's not the truth. Like, we absolutely positively did change some things. And we changed things because mm-hmm. we wanted to change things. When you ask me what's the biggest obstacle facing us right now, I absolutely positively think it's us. Because we can't win if we don't feel like we've already lost. Right. If, if we feel like we've already lost. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you about Trump real quick. Because uh, you said, uh, <laughs> I think it was poor white niggas is what you said. That's it. Uh, was were you talking about people who supported him? Is that I had to take in this. I felt like... I felt like Donald Trump got white people running to the polls like they were voting for the first white president. That's real. I mean, that was the feeling that he got, you know, people were so excited about. I'm from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. I'm mm-hmm. from a rural area. I'm from a place, in, you know, where they just took the Confederate flag down off the state house lawn two yes. years ago. And people are okay? still fighting it. And nine black people had to be shot and killed in a uh. church in order for that to happen. Yeah, that was terrible. So I know... The poor white niggas I'm talking about, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's who Donald Trump energized. Uh-huh. Simple as that. Like, he energized those people who can fly the Confederate flag, but they know that it represents a symbol of hate, and they don't care. Yeah. Like, that's the type of people that he energized, you know? So, but uh-huh. I, I feel like right now with Donald Trump, we're just at a point, man, where it's not, a, it's not about conservative or liberal. Right. It's not about right and left. It's simply about right and wrong, uh-huh. good and evil. God and Satan, which side of history do you want to be on? Yeah, I think it's about existence or non-existence. <laughs> that too. That, that too. I think Trump is an existential threat to not only the United States, but to the world. But, I, think I, it's mean, the, I think it's the best and worst thing that's ever happened to the country, though. Oh, that's interesting. Why, why is that? I think it's the best thing because I'm watching how, you know, Jay-Z's got a line where Jay-Z says, government, fuck government, we politic ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think, I love Barack Obama. He's the first person to ever make me go out there and actually vote. Right. But I feel like a lot of us got really comfortable with Barack Obama in the White House. Like, mm-hmm. we were so happy of just having that symbol right. and riding around listening to Jeezy's song, My President is Black, <laughs> that we right. didn't actually go to the White House and demand anything. And like, right. like what kind of changes are you, you going to make? You could blame it on Jeezy. You don't have to yeah. blame it on Obama. <laughs> 
know? what, what kind of changes are you going to make to the urban community? I right. feel like we just, I feel like we just got lost in that. We was, we just was, it was a honeymoon phase for eight uh-huh. years. Like, oh, we got a black president. Yes, right. blah, blah, blah. So now we just got like this harsh dose of reality. Trump clarifies. Trump right. clarified it and reminded yeah. everybody like, no. So like you see how women are energized now. Like mm-hmm. women are leading the charge more than anybody right now. Yeah. Especially women of color. Like they're sure. leading the charge. Like whether it's the the women's march that, that they did. That women's march was amazing. Oh, or the right. women's day That's off. Yeah. Like they they're leading the charge. And then like honestly, people are getting more in tune with their blackness. Yes. Like, like like oh yes yeah right. like we back baby like yeah. like black is beautiful. Let's go like yeah. uh, let's not forget. Like I kind of do forget. Like I know I I kind of forgot. Yeah, I kind of forgot. Like I knew I, I always represented my blackness and love being black. Sure. But I I was one of those people that was out here saying things like, "Oh no, racism is dead now." You know, simply because you said that. I don't know if I said it in mm-hmm. those exact words, but I did kind of feel like it was a shift in the country. Simply because I'm like, there's no way in hell the mm-hmm. America I know would have voted for a black president. Mm-hmm. Like on it, like I mean, I, I'm the guy who father was giving him Minister Farrakhan speeches and message to the black man by Elijah Muhammad Malcolm right. X. I grew up, no, I, I, I know the wicked white devil. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I was like, there's no way that this country would have elected a black president if yeah. this country hasn't truly changed. Yeah. But we got that harsh reminder that it hasn't. <laughs> All right. Well, we shall see. All right, um, Charlemagne, thank you so much. For um, thank stopping you, man. by, I'm so happy for you. Um, proud of you. Thank you, you know, sir. All of that stuff. Keep crushing it out there. And uh, can I tell people go get my book? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Black Let's Privilege Opportunity comes to those who created eight principles that I learned in my life that I'm sharing with people. It's available wherever you buy books. New York Times bestseller. Thank you. That's right. It's not a book about Kwanzaa, you guys, just because it's got eight <laughs> principles in it. So don't get scared off like that. Buy Charlemagne's book. I, said, it's just a- I bought your book. I wasn't giving it. I bought it. I bought the Kindle edition, actually. Oh, thank you, man. I, I rock on my iPad. That's how I do it. No, I want to support you. I want to do it like that. But uh, please buy his book. Listen to The Breakfast Club. Please. Uh, he's got a... Uh, the Breakfast Club is so entertaining on so many different levels. We're in 70 markets uh, in 150 countries. He's still putting some respect on that for Put everybody. Put your respect on the some name. Some respect. Um, all right, Charlamagne, we'll see you, man. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you.